morning we're going to continue our series on uh, our Lent series on the words of Jesus from the cross. And I'm going to read with you from the Gospel according to John, chapter 19, just three verses, verses 28 to 30. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. I suppose, congregation, that uh, generally speaking, you would not take it too kindly if someone said to you, Ah, you're all wet. Probably not meant as a compliment. But I've taken literally, you know, it is not a bad thing. Imagine, after all, where you would be if you were not all wet. Well, okay, maybe not all, but at least two-thirds of you. Two-thirds of your body consists of water. The total amount of water in the body of an average adult is 37 liters. Water exists within all of our bodily organs, and water is sent throughout our bodies to assist in every physical function. Your brains are 75% water. Your bones are 25% water. Your blood is 83% water. They used to say an apple a day keeps the doctor away. Not anymore. Now, though, it's debated recently, but now they usually say two liters of water a day keeps the doctor away. If you actually did drink that much, you would be drinking around 75,000 liters of water in an average lifetime. So you see, you just did not realize how all wet you are, did you? Water is one of the greatest needs of the human body. So when you come to this word of the cross, here is a word we can identify with. Here Jesus expresses a need so human, any one of us could have spoken it. I'm thirsty. How many times have you said that during your life? Here is a word that has nothing to do, first of all, with religion, morality, or character, but with sheer and simple physical need. I'm thirsty. Well, who wouldn't have been? given all that he had happened, all that he had suffered since his arrest the night before, then hanging for three hours on a cross while his life's blood ebbed away. Given the needs of the human body, and as some of you have no doubt experienced, thirst is one of the body's most agonizing needs. Those who claim to know say that death from thirst is horribly painful and a slow way to go. The body drives up, deprived of its most essential nutrient. Functions begin to fail, organs begin to shut down. 
We can endure hunger for a pretty long time. They say the average person can live up to a month without food. But the average person can only survive without water for about five days. Mind you, there are exceptions. Like 39-year-old Pastor Baraha from Mozambique, who, as reported last month in the news, tried to fast for 40 days just as Jesus had done. And he died from dehydration on day 25. But that's an exception, and I think not really one to be proud of. Thirst is like a consuming fire. The most intense agony anyone can know is to feel one's tongue thicken and one's throat parched for lack of water. I'm thirsty. And so the fact that Jesus, after three hours of being crucified, of experiencing the most intense suffering imaginable in the heat of a typical Middle Eastern day, that Jesus should express this cry of human need comes as no surprise. The surprise comes only when you set this whole scene in the context of our Christian faith about Jesus. How many people in our world, in our culture, when they hear the word God, would see in their mind's eye a man nailed to a cross, murmuring with parched lips, I'm thirsty. How can it be that the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, would be thirsty? This word from the cross, it's such an ordinary word. A bodily word, a carnal, which comes from the Greek word meaning flesh, a carnal word, and thirsty. It is so like Jesus, of course, to mix the fleshly with the spiritual, the earthly with the heavenly, since he is, after all, God incarnate, that is, God the Word, become flesh. And on the cross, we are faced with one of the most horribly physical events of the gospel. You may think, as many people do, you may think of Christianity as something spiritual, otherworldly, floating off into never-never land. Until, that is, you look upon this wretched body, nails through sinew and flesh, heaving in final agony, in sweat and blood upon a cross because of sin, our sin because of us. You know, as a preacher, sometimes you're surprised, not always pleasantly, by the way that bodily needs can intrude themselves into otherwise divine and spiritual proceedings. I will never forget the Sunday morning Advent service in my Georgetown, Ontario congregation many, many years ago when I was not feeling well because I unexpectedly really had to go. I'm not going to explain that. You understand. So there I was, the congregation singing the hymn before I read the scripture and began preaching. And what was I supposed to do? So what I did was I announced that I was not feeling well and maybe somebody could please suggest another hymn while I left the sanctuary momentarily to see if that would help. And while I was getting the relief I needed, I heard the congregation with 
what I can only imagine was a healthy dose of irony and humor singing the hymn, Comfort, Comfort, My People. As one preacher put it, there is something about us as we are going about our so spiritual endeavors that genuinely surprises us to find that we are, despite our noble intellectual or spiritual values, creatures. Flesh. And with Jesus, there is sometimes this tendency in us creatures that wants to make Jesus, God, incarnate instead of incarnate. Staring at an innocent man, suffocating and bleeding to death on a cross, is not most people's idea of a good time or a good way to spend three hours on a Friday. But the Jesus who is a great spiritual leader, a wise teacher, source of some of the most noble ideas ever spoken, the golden rule, the Beatitudes, the whole Sermon on the Mount, sticking with that Jesus, we can keep him high and lifted up. With that Jesus, it doesn't seem so odd to be a Christian. That's a spiritual Jesus. In the long run, however, it's also an irrelevant Jesus. A Jesus who floats somewhere above the grubby, nitty-gritty of my daily life. It is not the Jesus who says the words, I'm thirsty. The earliest Christian heresy was known as docetism. The belief that Jesus did not really become human, actual flesh like us, but only appeared to be. These words force us to reckon with the reality that Jesus is in the flesh. His suffering is real. The drops of blood, the sweat, the torn flesh, it is all real. In our culture these days, it's a very popular thing to say that, well, I'm not really religious, but I am spiritual. Spirituality is a big deal. Reflection, quietness, away from the rat race, navel-gazing. Don't you think it's wonderful that there is so much interest these days in spirituality? Well, frankly, I find it hard to get too excited about that as a Christian. Christians aren't really into spirituality, you know. We're into the physical. Can you say the word incarnation? So while it is important not to dwell on the details of crucifixion, and the Gospels don't, yet you cannot gloss over them either. The Christian faith is all about teaching people like us that if we are going to meet God, the place we meet Him is in the flesh which is not an easy sell in our culture where we live in air-conditioned homes and drive air-conditioned cars, where at any given moment, millions of us are on medications that dull our experience of bodily pain and presence. I get a pain, I pop a pill, I can go right on kidding myself about my essential being, flesh. It is so easy to numb ourselves to pain, to become immune to suffering whether our own or the world's. Watching the evening news day after day after you have caught up with the latest news out of Ukraine or Turkey and Syria or North Korea or multiple other places far and near, it is so easy to become numb and simply turn away. Hey, let's see. 
if there's a channel showing a Seinfeld rerun. In case we would try to do anything like that with the suffering of Jesus, he cries out with these words, I am thirsty. And since it is the second person of the Trinity saying these words, the Son of God, what you have in this word is a picture of God. The cross is not simply the truth about the human condition, the truth of our sin, it is the truth about God. So when I said at the beginning that here is a word that has nothing to do with religion, morality, or character, but with sheer and simple physical need, that was true. But the fact that the gospel presents us a picture of God in a, pure, a position of purely physical need has everything to do with religion. The fact that at the center of our faith, you find not the figure of some remote and distant deity, not some heroic superman, not some disparate spirit who lives beyond human pain and brokenness, but one divine enough to forgive and human enough to be thirsty. That is both the surprise and the comfort of the Christian faith. That is what makes the Christian faith unique and different from all the other religions of the world. Here in the second person of the Trinity is the God of the Gospel. A pathetic, dying man who pleads for a little water to moisten his cracked, burning lips. You can never stand at the foot of the cross, hear this word, and say that the God of the Bible is indifferent to human suffering, unconcerned with human pain, too big to be bothered with human need. The God of the Bible is the God who became flesh. The God who cares for every human need, even the simplest and most elemental of all. I am thirsty. If he cannot ignore human need, neither can we. Whatever the need, and wherever the need, in Afghanistan, in Ukraine, in Turkey, in Syria, in Langley, in Willoughby, CRC. And here at the old rugged cross is the God who has faced and felt my suffering. There are moments in our lives Sometimes long moments, sometimes seasons, sometimes even years because of chronic disease, because of cancer. When you suffer in deep physical ways, when your body fails to function in the smooth, pleasant ways, when your body revolts, rebels against everything you want your body to do. Here, we see God and Jesus identifying with you in your brokenness, in your pain, your agony. I am thirsty. A word of hope, a word of encouragement to pray, knowing that the one to whom you pray is one who understands, and in his understanding goes with you and helps you. In our physical pain, 
We are not alone because God Himself has suffered our pain. And a God who has honestly faced and felt the same suffering as I have is a God and Savior I can trust and follow. Not a spiritual God, but a real God, a relevant God, a God who meets my every need. A God who thirsts like me. But also, if we can get spiritual for a moment now too, a God who thirsts for me. In his saying, I am thirsty, we are at the very heart of Jesus' humanity, that which makes Jesus so very much like every one of us. But we are also at the very heart of Jesus' divinity, that which makes Jesus God, one with the Father, and so very much unlike us. You see, in the Bible, to thirst is usually a craving for more than water. John's Gospel hints at that when he writes that Jesus spoke this word so that the Scriptures might be fulfilled. And you think of a time earlier in John's Gospel, in chapter 4, when Jesus experienced thirst and when Jesus, a Jew, asked a woman for water, a woman who was a Samaritan, think of the love lost between Palestinians and Jews still today, and if that was not bad enough, a sinner who'd give any one of us a run for our money. Five husbands already, now living with a man who was not her husband. And as Jesus engaged her in a conversation, the topic was all about water. And the heart of what Jesus said was this. Physical thirst is real. It's a big deal. The body cannot survive without water. But there is a deeper thirst that no amount of water can quench. Everyone who drinks ordinary water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of living water welling up to eternal life. The body needs water to survive. We die without it. But our souls need to be quenched too. Without proper nourishment, without God, we too will shrivel and die. The thirsty soul, the soul wandering through the wilderness of life without God, dried up and as good as dead because of sin, the sin which separated us from God, from even desiring God, that's my soul apart from the Lord who hung on the cross and said, I thirst. That's all of us after the fall into sin in the very beginning when we were chased out of the presence of God. Ever since, we have been a thirsty human race seeking to quench our thirst at many different wells that do not satisfy except that the only well that brings us life with God Abundant life, a blessed life of hungering and thirsting for righteousness, of praying and working for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, a life filled with the Spirit of the living God, eternal life. That well was too deep for us until Jesus came in our flesh, until Jesus was hanged on the cross and cried out, 
I am thirsty. And he thirsted physically, but he also took on the thirst of the human soul and spirit separated from the Spirit of God. He hung on the cross, deprived of all things necessary for body and for the soul. For the body, no water. For the soul, forsaken even by God. Deprived, punished for our sins. Surely, wrote the prophet Isaiah centuries earlier, he took up our pain, bore our suffering, yet we considered him stricken and smitten by God. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. There is such a danger in our consumer culture, that even the Christian faith and worship becomes just another form of consumerism. The gospel, just another technique to help us feel a little bit less miserable about ourselves by getting us even more deeply into ourselves and meeting my needs. These days, a lot of people prefer what one theologian called ladder theology. Christian faith and worship as a means of climbing up to God, always upbeat, always optimistic, always user-friendly, always feel-good religion. In a cartoon typical of this spirit, Gary Trudeau pictures a young and well-to-do couple leaving a suburban church with pained looks on their faces because the pastor slipped up and said the word sin. They explain their exit to the pastor. We're looking for a church that meets our needs. And who wants to talk about sin? Who wants to spend three hours on a Friday or any other day staring at somebody dying on a cross? Writer and preacher Barbara Brown Taylor remembers a retreat where the leader asked people to think of someone who represented Christ in their lives. When it came time to share their answers, one woman stood up and said, I had to think hard about that one. I kept thinking, who is it who told me the truth about myself so clearly that I wanted to kill him for it? According to John's Gospel, Jesus died because he told the truth to everyone he met. He was the truth. A perfect mirror in which people saw themselves in God's own light but the light was so truthfully bright and searing and painful as it exposed our evil, so full of love as it exposed our hate, that we murdered the Son of God in a vain attempt to put out the light. As he was dying, he said, I am thirsty. And as thirsty as he was for water, the amazing truth of the gospel is that he was just as thirsty for you. God is thirsty for you. Isn't that what the whole Bible up to now has been all about, is still all about? God is determined through creation. The words of the prophets, the teaching of the law, 
the birth and life and death and resurrection of Jesus, the ministry of the church in the power of the Holy Spirit to get close to us. God has this unquenchable thirst to have us to get close to us again, even us. And you cannot get much closer to us, the real us, than a cross. I am thirsty. I am thirsty. So that your thirst might be quenched. God thirsted for us, and so great was His thirst for us that He threw all caution to the wind. He became flesh. And in our flesh, in Christ, writes Paul, God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. So that we who cry out with the author of Psalm 63 saying, You God, my God, earnestly I seek You. My soul thirsts for You. My whole being longs for You in a dry land and parched land where there is no water. That we could be among those whom John sees in the vision described in Revelation 7, a vision of the eternal destiny of all who have surrendered their thirsty lives to Jesus. This vision. They are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will spread His tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne, Jesus will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Jesus said, I am thirsty. We see how much pain it caused God to get close to us. We see that a God like our God could not be close to people like us without a cross. That God is in this fix on this Friday, because God is so thirsty for us, for you, for me. So that now there is no thirst you experience He cannot quench. No pain you suffer He cannot heal. No sin you commit He cannot cover. Thank God it's Friday. Thank God for Good Friday, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you that Jesus is God, became God, incarnate in our flesh to take on our sin. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you know us and can help us in all our need. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you will use us as a church, not only for worship, but also for work, as we extend that hand of grace, that hand of help to all those who suffer in our community and in our world. Help us indeed, Lord, to be a church where word and deed always go together, 
in the name of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast. The Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship, the Heidelberg Catechism, and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth. You can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com.